And welcome in to this episode of Broadcaster Hour. I'm Roger Hoover joining you from Tuscaloosa, Alabama, but let's head down to the Sunshine State. We got Kyle Crooks in Gainesville and then uh, somewhere around Miami, Paul Severino, the television voice of the Miami Marlins, who joins us now. Paul, how's everything going? Everything is great. Good to be with you guys. Yeah, good to talk to you, Paul. And uh, just how, how was this season for you? You know, it's uh, I'm sure it was much different. Uh, but uh, for you, how did you what was the experience like of, of calling games in 2020? Broadcaster hour, you say, right? So I only have less than an hour to break down how this year was. Uh, it was different. It was different. It was um, it was exciting. It was challenging at times. Um, it was uh, you were worried about whether you'd play a game tomorrow uh, or three games next week or even at six o'clock one night. We weren't even sure if we were playing a game that night. So it's it uh, it was it was extremely different. That was just kind of the overall, you know, health slash covid sort of uh, thing. And then in terms of, uh, you know, calling games off monitors, it was uh, it was also different and challenging. But um you know, I'm sure we'll get to it at some point, but I, I thought of um, going into the season when I knew we weren't going to travel. There's going to be a lot of games uh, called off monitors. It reminded me of once I got over the, oh, my gosh, how are we going to do this? I thought to myself, this is a lot like when I used to do MLB Tonight um, at MLB Network. And you, you're in and out of so many games and live games and everything else that um, and you obviously don't control the cameras and what's being shot and you don't necessarily drive the conversation with the video to follow and the pictures to follow um, when you're having a conversation, not the game action, of course, but when you're having a conversation and it just kind of flip-flopped, especially when, you know, the Marlins were on the road, uh, let's say they were in Atlanta or D.C. or something, that TV crew controlled 95% of the shots. Um, we would have one camera um, available to us if we were talking about Don Mattingly or the pitching coach or whatever, um, where we could kind of override that. But for the most part, that world feed, we kind of followed that. So it was a lot of staying behind shots and not getting too into the weeds on certain conversations and stuff. But um, once I kind of flipped my mindset to you've done something like this before, uh, it, it started to get a little bit easier. But then again, it, it was also I joked about it early and it actually turned out to be kind of true. It's like the Marlins started on the road. So I thought, all right, well, once we get used to being, uh, you know, on the road, the Marlins will come home. And then that's that was a whole other different thing because it was the same deal. You want to keep your your conversation generic because you're doing, you know, a disservice to the Nationals or the Braves broadcast if you're trying to talk about things too granularly. So it's like once they're they got home, we'll be used to doing games on the road. And then once they come home and we're used to that, they'll go back on the road. And then once we're used to going back and forth with both, it'll be early October and the season will be over. So it was uh, it was different. It was challenging. It was fun. Um, I hope that we're we're going to be back to normal in 2021, though. How much did as announcers, did you reach out to guys at other clubs and just ask for a little bit? bits and pieces of advice as to how they were going about it, because you're all going through this at the same time. Uh, a lot of that sort of conversation happened uh, probably in the, you know, late June, early July, mid-July, kind of when the season was going to get ramped up. But I will say that it, it was uh, very important that we all, uh, or at least for me, and I, I, I think before every series, um, uh, that the Marlins played this year, uh, there was a Zoom call or, uh, you know, uh, notes passed back and forth between broadcasters the same way that you'd go, uh, you know, the, the, the Mets come into town for a three-game series and you go over to the, the, the SNY broadcast booth and talk with Gary Cohen and Ron Darling for 15 minutes and just kind of get up to speed on everything that you may not have seen online or, uh, you know, whatever games you were watching the last couple of days to get ready for the Mets or your own prep or whatever that you might have missed. Uh, or get that perspective on things, um, that was important. I, I mean, it was probably, I would say, at least an hour, sometimes two hours um, prior to a series to get up to speed on the Rays and the Orioles and, and everything else. And, um, and and even the teams that we would see a lot and have seen a lot of, the, the NL East teams. You know, it, it, to me, it was, it was important because um, there was only so much that you could do. You know, you couldn't go down to the cage. So there was no, hey, I talked to Miguel Rojas today and we talked about this. I mean, there was, you know, fortunately, I've been able to develop some relationship with uh, with some players and some coaches over these few years uh, that I've been there. So I was able to shoot a text here and there. I don't want to wear these guys out, but 
um, you know, to, to stay in, in some sort of contact uh, with these guys. But it certainly wasn't the same as, as hanging out by the cage for an hour every single day. And for the games where you were having to call it off a monitor when the Marlins would be on the road, just what can you tell us about the eye discipline you have? Were you always kind of locked in on whatever the program feed was? Did you look at the high home? Just how did you try to keep everything organized? Because I know in the few Remy's I've done, sometimes like less can actually help you. It seems like to me, yeah. but how'd you approach it? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, generally speaking, right? Like my, my general rule of thumb uh, is always uh, even in a normal world, um, or, or even working again, working at MLB Network and, and, and being able to see, you know, the way that it was set up there, we'd have 10 games on at once. But at the end of the day, the only thing that's that really matters is whatever is on TV in someone's home. So the program monitor, right? So uh, it was it was kind of, uh, it got kind of used to never stray too far from what everybody can see. Right. Like you can always chit chat with your with your producer and say, hey, did you see something? Something's going on down the line or did you get a shot of that before you start carrying on about something that maybe they don't have, they don't have a shot of. And now they're left in a lurch and then everything's upside down and it's just bad television. So um, I, I think I've always been kind of not locked in only on the monitor, um, even again in a normal world where there's human beings playing the game in front of you. But like I'll watch pitches a lot. Uh, you know, I just I'm not used to or good at, um, you know, seeing it from high from our perch in the booth and looking down at the plate and, and being able to be confident that every single time I can see breaking ball, fastball, change up, whatever. So I always kind of watch the monitor to get the, the spin or the speed or the shape or whatever. So I, I kind of stay there most of the time anyway. But in terms of how this year worked, like every um we'll call it road broadcast or I guess home broadcast for the other team that whatever they would send back was, was slightly different in the way that it was set up. So our general setup up in the booth um, when the Marlins were on the road and we were at Marlins park all by ourselves was we'd have one big program monitor uh, in between us. That was, I don't know, 50 inches big screen. And then to the left of that was an even bigger monitor, 70 some odd inch screen. And that had some kind of a grid on it. And we had no control over what was in that grid. And some of those grids had four. Some of those grids had seven. Some of them had nine. Um, and and so it, when it wasn't like high home was always the big one in the lower left. So you always knew where to look. In Atlanta, it might have been top right. When they played the Yankees, it might have been lower left. It, it was all over the place. So, um, and again, after a few innings and certainly a game or two, you get used to where things are. But you know, of course, you want to have your, your your sight lines lined up in case of a big moment. It's not, you know, top of the second when there's seven foul balls in a row and there's no action that you need to know where all these cameras are. It's when there's a ball in the corner and the game's on the line. So um, I, I tried for the most part to stay on the program monitor. Um, and then there were times when, again, ball down the line, couldn't quite see something. Um, a ball in the gap. You want to know if the, the, the runner at first is going to come around to score that I would just watch that high home and just kind of see it and, and maybe not necessarily call it off that high home monitor, but just have that in the back of my mind so that when, when I glanced at that and I see the third base coach saying, here he comes, here he comes that when we go back to, you know, that, that low first or whatever that would show uh, home plate I'd say you know he's getting the green light or something like I would I would use it more as information than necessarily call off it uh, is a very long and, and complicated way to answer that question but um, yeah it, it, it was difficult it was challenging but you're you're absolutely right less is more I mean I think initially when you know my producer asked hey in the perfect world how do you want things set up um, I probably asked for a lot of stuff and then I realized, yeah, I, I don't really care. Like if somebody's warming up in the bullpen, yeah, sure, that's good information. But I could easily say to the producer, hey, do you see somebody warming up in the bullpen or wait for the Braves telecast to take that shot and say, you know, uh, Brandon Kinsler's loosening in the Marlins bullpen right now. It, it, that was not such such time sensitive information as opposed to, hey, there's a shift on and that's a ground ball through the left side and nobody was there. So something like that. So that was your experience during your last baseball season in 2020. And let's go back to the very beginning for you. What was your spark in trying to get into broadcasting? What were some of the first steps you started taking in this business? 
Um, well, once I, I, I guess I was fortunate and lucky that I kind of knew what I wanted to do from a really early age, six, seven, eight years old, whatever it was. Um, and, and I was, you know, big into video games and, and sports video games and stuff like that. And, 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 and as silly as it might sound professional wrestling too. So when I was four, five, six years old, everybody plays with, you know, wrestlers and oh, off the top rope. And so that's like where the, the announcing kind of started and didn't really think anything of it. And then, you know, that turned into like the video game thing. And uh, we had a family friend who was a few years older than me and, and you know, talking about what he was doing in high school and what he wanted to do in, in college and for a job and everything else. And he said, well, I'm going to go and, and be in communications. I said, well, what the heck is that? I'm 10, 12 years old. What the heck is communications? He said, well, I want to be a broadcaster. You know, those people that when you watch these games on TV, they're the ones that are announcing the games. Just as now, I was stupid. And I was like, wait a second, that's like a job? Like, that's like a real (laughs) thing? Like, people actually do that? Like, it just never clicked with me at that point. So I was like, well, I don't have to wake up early in the morning and have like a real job. And I can watch sports. And... uh, I think that that will work. So let me see what I can do. And then, um, you know, the, the Cliff Notes version of it was uh, in high school, we'd have like a morning news announcements thing for like five minutes. And, and I tried to kind of get into that five, six, seven person group that did that a few times a week. And um, once I got into college, I went to Endicott College. They had a great internship program. So you start doing internships as a freshman, which uh, for me was great because I knew what I wanted to do. And then I got to a place that was great. In, uh, in the NBC affiliate in Connecticut that was fantastic and the people there were great. So it was almost like solidifying my thought in getting into sports broadcasting that, yes, this is as much fun as I thought it would be. Um, whereas for some other people, I was just talking with somebody actually from the school a few days ago about this, that when you do these internships as a freshman, it's a good thing even if you don't like what you're doing, because it's not like you've invested three and a half years in something and get a semester long internship as a senior. And then you're like, wait, this really kind of sucks. I don't want to do this. <laughs> and now you've in a sense kind of wasted time. Um, so it was great. I mean, I, I ended up waiting what three, four months uh, into that January of my freshman year before I did an internship and did another one that summer, um, same place. And then another one as a sophomore in, in that sophomore January. And uh, worked for the TV station uh, at the school, did play-by-play for basketball and, and football um, at Endicott College as a junior. And then as a senior, I did a semester-long internship um, up near the school as well. And then I graduated on Saturday, May 15th, 2005. And on Monday, May 17th, 2005, I started as the uh, color commentator for the New Haven County Cutters Um which is a was because they're not around anymore, uh, an independent league baseball team in Connecticut in New Haven and uh, and it, internet broadcasts where uh, you know I think only some family listened. I don't even think grandparents wanted to listen to us, <laughs> but um, but it was and it was that I did that for the summer and then uh, about a month or so after that ended, I ended up getting to ESPN. I grew up in Bristol, Connecticut, so it was kind of happenstance that that it worked out the way that it did. Um, Five years at, at ESPN, seven years at MLB Network, and now uh, and now with the Marlins. But the goal was always to be, uh, hopefully, with hard work and some luck mixed in, the, the voice of a Major League Baseball team. So I've done it. I've done it. And you grew up in Connecticut, um, and you grew up a Yankees fan. I read that, too. I grew up in northern New Jersey, so I'm a big Yankees fan. When you What were part of New Jersey? Because I lived in Nutley. Aquanic. Birthplace of Derek. Oh, Jeter. Derek Jeter. Sure, yeah. yeah. So. And Kyle Crooks. And Kyle, well, obviously. when you look at the Wikipedia of the Quantic, it's Derek Jeter and Kyle. I'm still trying to get over Jeter on that list of the Wikipedia list. But was the soundtrack for you, Sterling and Kay? Because they started yeah, together yeah. on the radio, and then Kay moves over to TV. Did you? And Connecticut's. It's interesting because you have Red Sox and Yankees fusion when it comes to fan bases, and right. I believe the Red Sox radio network and TV network is in Connecticut as well. Were you listening to a lot of Yankees and Red Sox telecasts and broadcasts and learning that way? Uh, yeah, way more Yankees broadcasts than Red Sox broadcasts. The the Severino family is a divided family, not in the household that, that I grew up, but my uh, my grandfather on my dad's side, my grandfather was a big Yankee fan. Um, and he named my dad Paul after Joe Paul DiMaggio. And then I got named Paul Jr. So I have a very, other than being born on the fifth of the month and that being Joe DiMaggio's number, I have no tie. 
to to Joe D. But um, so my grandfather, my dad, and I uh, were the Yankee fans growing up, and then his, my dad's brothers and sister, I think everybody else was Red Sox fans. So like up until mid October two thousand four, it was gravy. <laughs> And then it wasn't gravy anymore. Uh, it got to be not gravy real fast, actually. And of course, of about four days, as I remember. But um, but yeah, it was a lot of a lot of uh, Sterling and K. Um, you know, like the Al Trout wigs, and um, it, honestly, the Dwayne Stats uh, mm-hmm. now, who's with the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, you know, and uh, and Bobby Mercer's, and even Phil Rizzuto's when he was on those broadcasts and stuff like that, and. You know, on and on that that list goes, but yeah, it was it was a, a lot of that um, growing up, and uh, and even too, uh, not so much just uh, the the game broadcast, but just uh, again going back to like being in sports broadcasting. Uh, you know, Mike and the Mad Dog, uh, Chris Russo and, and Mike Francesa. My dad listened to WFAN all the time, so anytime I was in the car with him on a you know weekday afternoon in the car, we were listening to that. Um, and I was like, wow, these, this, this is amazing. All these guys do is talk about sports for four or five hours a day. Like, yes, where, where's the application for that job? So, it, you know, it, it kind of started, we all know that they're, they're different mediums and, and different skill sets, but, um, again, just that they're all the same. Once you boil it down, you're, you're broadcasting, you're talking about sports, you're trying to be informative, you're trying to entertain, you're trying to engage. It's all that same stuff. You're trying to tell a story. Um, so at the end of the day, it's all kind of the same. So, um, yeah, that, that's, that's where it started from was, uh, yeah, I tried not to watch too much of Nesson or whatever, whatever network the the Red Sox were on when I was growing up. So I assume you went to Yankees games as a kid at the, at the old stadium, but even at the new one, do you have the pinch me moments when you're calling games at Wrigley and and Fenway and, and the new, the new Yankee stadium again, doesn't have the same cachet, but you're in the Bronx. Yeah. Game. Do you have those pinch me moments in those spots? Yeah, for sure. I think that um, I'd be lying if I didn't say that the, that any time that I can, you know, on the road, uh, get off the bus. Those are actually some of my favorite moments of the day, honestly. Um, I, I, like I've said uh, a lot of times before, is like if you re- if you had the money and you really wanted to, you could go to 81 home games a year. You could go to every game if you wanted to as a fan. Um but what you can't do is go on the field every day. What you can't do is go in the clubhouse. What you can't do is get off the bus and walk, you know, in the bowels of the of the stadium, of the arena, of the ballpark, whatever, uh, and, and walk by the clubhouses and walk through the tunnels and stuff like that. You can't do that. I get to do that. I'm really fortunate to do that. So in, in all of the ballparks that I've been in, um, that's always really special. Plus it's also quiet there too. So it's like, it's like a, this like special spiritual kind of thing where it's just, it's just silent and everybody's listening to their music or whatever. And you, know, you just hear the footsteps bellowing through the hallways. And it, it, to me, that's like, that's one of those, those are the moments it's like, wow, not a lot of people get to do this. Um, so that, that's cool. What I will say is my, you know, I, I listen. I, I be lying if I didn't say that I, I still uh, you know root for the Yankees as much as uh, as someone can. But I, I you know I I don't walk around town with Yankee hats and Yankee jerseys, and I don't ask for days off so I can go to Yankee games anymore. Uh, you know, obviously the the my bread is buttered with the Marlins right now, and I'm I'm thrilled for that, and I don't want to trade that for anything. Um, it also helps that, you know, a guy like Derek Jeter and Don Mattingly, uh, you know, make that transition a little <laughs> bit easier too. You're kind of still rooting for them in a way, in a way. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so my, my first year, 2018, uh, it was, uh, maybe our second road trip of the year was calling games at Yankee stadium. And when I went to games as a kid and once I kind of knew what I wanted to do, I, every single time which was you know maybe it was only five times a year because it was a couple hours to get to the ballpark um you know five times a year we'd go to yankee stadium and either i would take a picture from whatever seat we were in of the broadcast booth or i would just sit there and look at it and i would tell myself one day i will be up there and one day that will be my office um and when I got a chance to call a couple of games at Yankee Stadium, um, it was uh, it was really really special because again, I mean, the, just the whole experience of being a big league broadcaster was only a couple of months old. I, I want to say, without looking at the schedule, it might have been April 
11th and 12th or something. So we were two weeks into the year. Um, so I was still trying to get my bearings of, okay, what's my daily prep like and what's my series prep like and everything else. And then it's like, oh, by the way, you're going to Yankee Stadium and call games there. So, um, yeah, that, that, that's the long-winded excuse for why there were a couple of times during uh, those two games when, you know, we'd go to break and I'd say, uh, Yankees up 2-1 to one, when it was really the Marlins <laughs> up 2-1. to one. I just got, I got everything kind of twisted up. I don't know what the heck, which way was up, but uh, – <laughs> But it was a it, it was absolutely a thrill. But, you know, any of these ballparks that you get to go in, um, even Fenway. Yes, even Fenway Park um, and Wrigley and Dodger Stadium. And, and just to know uh, all those all those uh, great folks and, and, and great voices that have been able to to sit in those chairs or, or see a game from that perspective and that you're you're one of them is uh, it's humbling. It really is. Those are really some good welcome to the big league moments. And uh, for you, when you detailed your career path, you had one very early on when you were able to land a job at ESPN. What can you tell us about the process of going from hopeful applicant like so many in this business trying to land with the mothership to when it actually happened and what your experience was like there? Um, well, again, I grew up in Bristol. So when I was, again, like 10, 11, 12 years old, I'd go to summer camp and, uh, you know, at the, the daycare that my mom worked at. So, you know, she was working and I was in the summer camp basically every day, all summer. Um, and every year we'd have this, you know, the same water park, this and, you know, uh, amusement park that and ESPN tour was one of those as well. So, you know, at, at nine, 10, 11, 12 years old, I'm touring ESPN and I've driven by it a thousand times getting from here to the highway or whatever. So I saw the satellite dishes, I saw the buildings and then I was able to walk through it. And again, just being dumb and naive and not really thinking too much of it. It, it was never the unattainable, you know, I, as I grew and I, you know, certainly matured and understood what it was all about and all the work that goes you know, into getting there and all the work that everyone uh, on camera and behind the scenes, all the work that they do, um, you know, you you understand it and you appreciate it more. But as a kid, it was just like, oh, that's cool. Hey, Wednesday, we get to go there. That's cool. Bump into Stuart Scott uh, in, in the hallways. And, um, you know, I, I remember Reese Davis came to our Little League awards ceremony and was like the guest speaker. So it's like it was always like, you know, right there. You know, it was never something that you know, was this magical thing that, I, you know, you could never see or, or, or smell or touch. It was there all the time. Um, so I think that th there was part of that that, that helped me um, when I was there. I was never overly intimidated, like you always want to do well and impress people and hopefully move up the ladder. Um, but I was never overly intimidated by it. And then in terms of like actually like the, the part of like getting there, is funny because um, I'm sure this is not a story that uh, a lot of folks have. I don't think anyone has ever backed into working at ESPN more than me. Uh, when I was, I don't even know when, junior, senior in college, no idea when it was. I put my resume on monster.com, trying to get some job in some you know city in Idaho after I got out of school and didn't really think much of it. Forgot that it was out there and one day, I get a phone call from a temp agency and said, Hey, uh, how are you? We saw your resume on, uh, uh, and we, you know, there's a the job opening at ESPN and everything else. And where the heck did you see my resume? Like monster.com. I didn't even know it was up there still. Whoops. Um, but anyway, it was the, the job was for, um, to work in the department of mobile ESPN, which if you remember, this was end of 05, beginning of 06. You, now we all have you know, ESPN apps or whatever on our phone and we get to see scores and highlights and news and everything else on whatever phone you've got. You just find it, it's there. But back then, you needed to have this particular Samsung phone that had the app on it. And that was the only way to get the ESPN app was to buy the actual phone. So, but my job was to write the headlines for all the different pages, not write the stories. We would take the stories from whatever, you know, nerd programs we had or whatever. But, um, but I had to put, you know, Dante Culpepper out for, you know, the next two weeks, that was the headline on the NFL page. And I'd write the headline for that. And I would order up how the stories were to freshen up the pages. And, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't cut 
edit the, the, the videos. We would have edit video editors for that, but I would watch them to make sure that the lower thirds were score, were, were spelled properly or that the, the edits actually made sense because some of these guys were way more technical than they were like sports uh, minded. So that was kind of our job. And then after about a couple of weeks, a month or so, um, I started doing highlights um, because they, they couldn't get like real anchors to come down and read highlights. Uh, and the thing hadn't launched yet. So my boss asked me one day, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I said, I want to be the voice of the Yankees. And he said, well, wait, you want to work in front of the camera? I said, yeah. He said, all right, well, we can't get real people to come down here. So why don't you try doing some NBA highlights uh, tonight and see how it goes? I said, all right. So I did a couple NBA highlights, put them up on the phone. And my boss was a little a little rough around the edges. I respect him a, a lot more now. I was probably more intimidated than anything else back then. But um, I went in the next day. And I went up to his desk very sheepishly and I said, uh, hey, boss, uh, how were the highlights last night? And without even like looking up from his desk, he just goes, you can do them again tonight. And that was it. <laughs> I go, all right. I think we, we're, we're on to something here. OK, so that, you know, I check back in a week. We're good. I can still do these He's like, yeah, you're fine. So then that turned into like a fantasy football show, a fantasy baseball show on ESPN.com, turned into doing some ESPN news, and I got to host a sports center um, as in my final week there. I had set a goal for myself, uh, as unrealistic as it might have been, that I want to host at least one sports center. I don't care what time it's on, 2.30 <laughs> in the morning on a Sunday, I don't care, but I want to host one sports center before I turn 30. And then I end up getting the job at MLB Network and in the time between accepting the job and actually leaving ESPN, I think, oh, I'm never going to host a sports center. I get a call on like my last Wednesday and they say, hey, so-and-so can't work. Can you come in and do the three o'clock sports center today? And I said, yep. I, and I was there in literally two minutes because I lived down the street. So um, <laughs> that, that was uh, it was a pretty cool, special time. And, and I think that, uh, again, while that for a lot of people is kind of the, the ESPN's like the end game if you will you know that the top of the mountain and for very good reason uh for me it was great to be able to get um i don't know if you want to say pushed or pulled up the mountain but to, to be able to be around a lot of the, the best in the business and the best in the country and see how they work every single day on air off air how they carry themselves all that kind of stuff to be able to see that you know it's almost like a september call-up you know for baseball you get to see what it's like and and work out some of the kinks and then once you get your your gig for real you have an advantage because now you can hit the ground running because you've been around some of the best pros that that there are yeah and along those lines uh, you got to do a sports center you got to anchor a lot uh, for those different things at espn and that led to the mlb network opportunities uh just what's the key to being a good sports anchor and especially doing highlights did you have everything scripted looking up teleprompter looking at your script just what's the what are some of the big keys you felt like to your success in that area well i think a a good head of hair goes a long way <laughs> that's number one um no uh i think that uh i've always tried to be in a sense the jack of all trades um and and I don't want to say the master of none. I hope I'm decent at, at at least one thing. But um, you, like you mentioned, prompter and scripts and everything else. I think that, uh, so I'll, I'll kind of start there. So I, I've always been told when I was a lot younger, and I always try to tell younger aspiring broadcasters the same thing. You need to be able to write for yourself. And part of that is, you know, you will write if you if you write the way you speak when you read you'll be a lot more natural doing it if you have a really good producer um who writes things extremely well but when you read those things it doesn't sound natural and it doesn't sound like something that you'd say those great words and those great ideas and and all of that stuff they go to waste so Try to write your own stuff because you'll write in your own voice and you'll be a lot more natural. And frankly, being natural is is really important in this business. Um, so there's that. And I also remember and again, thinking of, of prompters and stuff like that. Um, I've I can read off a prompter, of course. I think I do a halfway decent job with that. But I like to think that I'm uh, better off. The prompter, and that's not to say that everything's is ad libbed. But one of the 
one of the things that I did when I was at ESPN doing the fantasy uh, baseball and football show, we would do that every single day. So it was reps every single day. And I thought to myself, you know, okay, this is great. And I'm on camera and I'm reacting and I'm prepping and I'm doing all this stuff. But like my on camera presence and reps, like I'm not, I don't feel like I'm getting better. I don't feel like I'm getting challenged every day. And I was writing everything in the prompter. I write it and it was on the prompter and I was reading the prompter every single day. And I thought to myself, you know, let's try to write it, but not put it in the prompter. So it's there. Your notes are there. Your ideas are there. Your bullet points are there. But this to me, like that training was not even so much for studio as it was for everything else. It could be used for everything else. If I ever got a job or, or an assignment as a reporter, I'd be, there's not a prompter when you're on the side of the road reporting on something. So if I could figure out a way uh, to, to have ideas and have bullets and have my, my stuff ready in a certain order, but be able to keep eye contact with the camera, then that would benefit me. And then that turned into, you know, typing it out and printing it out every day. And then that turned into like, like bullet points more so than full on sentences and everything else. And that's, that was a way to kind of challenge myself to break up the monotony of doing basically the same thing every day. Um, Cause again, it was like a five minute show. So it, again, it wasn't like I was hosting uh, for four hours a night. Like it wasn't exactly time consuming. Like it, five minutes with a, with a guest is, you know, I don't need three days to prep for that show. You know what I'm saying? So it's like I needed to maximize how I challenged myself. So, um, so there was that. And, and I think you, but you always, um, I think you always evolve. You always try new things. And when you get really, really, really comfortable doing something one way, that's a good thing. But that might also be a time to try to change it up just a little bit just to see, um, just to you know, make sure that you're alive, but also to see if you can do something that might be a little bit easier, that might be a little bit more time efficient. And again, doing baseball for me, like doing baseball every single day, I'm always in the in search of how to be more efficient. Like I don't, I can and I could spend seven hours, and I have spent seven hours before a game prepping, and then do it all again tomorrow. But is that the most efficient thing to do? And I, I remember my first, uh, probably before my first game, uh, now that I think of it, the first big league game that I did, the regular season big league game that I did for the Marlins, I went into the Cubs broadcast booth next to us, and I was talking to Len Casper, and, uh, and he said to me, you know, I asked him a million different questions, and, and he said, one of the things that I remember was he said, you know, Boog Shambi, a friend of your show, I believe, right, uh, said, um, said to me, are you actually more prepared or do you just feel like you're more prepared? And, and I was, and so I, I always try to remember that, like just because you've sat and tried to read everything and write every stat down and all this other stuff for like seven hours, like did anything actually get into your brain or did you just write it down? And that's for me, like, that's my whole thing. Like I don't necessarily have to have it all memorized uh, word for word of a guy's background, but if I've prepped it and I can, and in my mind organized enough to know, okay, when the time comes, where did I put it and be able to find it quickly, then that's just as good as sitting there, like pouring over it. Like I'm an actor trying to memorize lines like that. For me, that's just a time consuming thing. So it's all about being really organized in your, in your notes and in your prep so that you can find it when you need it. Like, Oh, I know that their perfect example was last year in the off season. Um, I was going through the, the Marlins media guy just to pick whatever I could out of that. And I had something on Francisco Cervelli that he was doing some cooking thing for kids, uh, when he was in Pittsburgh. And I wrote it down in my little player page for Francisco Cervelli. And he plays whatever he plays, 20 games this year, and then he's out for the year. And then all of a sudden, he he comes up somehow on the broadcast, our sideline reporter comes up somehow that he's he's cooking and he's doing this cooking show, blah, blah, blah. And it could have very, very easily have been, oh, that's really funny. Thanks so much. Anyway, here's a 2-2 pitch. But instead, I remembered, you know what? I wrote something down about Francisco Cervelli. And then as soon as their sideline reporter finishes their part of the story, 
I already have it. Hey, Todd, my partner, I say, hey, Todd, you know what? When Francisco Cervelli was in Pittsburgh, he worked with 15 kids in some, you know, scholarship cooking class thing, whatever. And I had the background story there. Like, that's not something that I memorized, but I remembered that bullet point in my head, Francisco Cervelli cooking. I had that and I knew where to find it at a moment's notice. So I think preparation and organization for me are, are really dovetail into one another like crazy. So let me ask you then, how do you structure your prep? We've had Joe Davis on, we've had Adam Amin on, uh, we talked a little bit with Chip Carey on how he does his prep and he does it a little <clears throat> more old school. It's a lot more handwritten on, on paper as opposed to Adam and Joe, they'll use Microsoft OneNote and everybody has their player tab so how do you structure everything so, okay, there's all this information out there. There's a 40-page packet of, uh, of game notes. How, mm-hmm. do, how do I structure it so I can find it when I need it? I was thinking you might ask. And I'm not, <laughs> I, I wasn't smart enough to actually have it ready, so I'll ramble until I find what I need. <laughs> but I use, uh, I use a few different notes, I, uh, different ways to keep my notes. One, everything for me is, um, is electronic. So like I have my computer in front of me, but I also keep uh, my scorecard on my app, like uh, on my uh, iPad. So I've made my own uh, scorecard. And so I have little note areas where I want things to be and things are color coded a certain way um, and stuff like that. So everything is electronic. And for me, that makes it a lot very easy, especially like last year when the Marlins were playing the Phillies on a Sunday and they had this roster. And then they went through these this COVID outbreak, and there were 18 new players, yeah. like within a week. So I was able to instead of ripping pages out and taking them out of a binder and reorder, it was just like copy paste, copy paste, copy paste, and then boom, everything again looked the same. So here's what. Um, oh, good, my documents in dark mode. That's not even what I want. You won't even be able to see this. This sucks. <laughs> but so anyway, so here, this is a general general thing here. So it's just it's a spreadsheet, right? So I probably could have just said that two minutes ago. It's a spreadsheet. But in that, uh, uh, what is that, uh, Google, Google Sheets. Google Sheets, I've made 30 teams, and I have uh, two columns. And what's great to me about that is that you can embed links into each box, right? So for each player, let me see if I can maybe even zoom in a little bit. So, all right, so here we go. So can you see that? All right, so that's Jorge Alfaro, right? So on Alfaro, if I click on Alfaro, I've embedded his baseball reference page link there. So I see Alfaro, I click, click, boom, I'm on his page. Then inside some of those other boxes like i i know that he's 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 really fast he's one of the fastest catchers going so instead of every day going back and figuring out okay how fast is he now he's second now he's third now he's first then uh no not didn't do that again i want to be efficient so i've i go and i find the leaderboard on whatever i use this the statcast website or something and i get that link and then i can embed that link in there and then that will update every day uh, so I also so I use fan graphs for a lot of my stats because I like the way that their 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 leaderboards and their stat pages are set up. So I can sort things by day. So if I know Brian Anderson's been really hot the last two weeks, instead of every day going back and finding okay August seventh to August twentieth and what are the numbers and right now not doing that either. So I can find the I can set the date so it's August seventh to November thirtieth, and then. It, that will update itself every single day. And I have a link that says Brian Anderson really hot last two weeks. And then when he hits a double in the third inning, I can click on that link and say, okay, that's his eighth double in the last seven games or something like that. So again, it's, it's about organization and prep. Like I've done the prep to know who's hot, who's not the stories, whatever skill sets, whatever, but the organization of being able to find that and the efficiency of not having to waste you know, three hours a day just writing down a stat that you may not use. Like most of the time you use 10% of what you've prepped anyway. So why spend more time doing it? Do it right the first time. So that I use for my my position players. And then I do use Microsoft OneNote for my pitchers. And I uh, and so each team has a notebook and then each player has his own page. And then on that is just, again, however, I, I keep my notes. I, I keep like... Uh, 
like a little intro column, uh, which is what I would normally, again, have written down when the guy takes the mound. And I could say, hey, it's his, uh, you know, 10th start of the season and over his last four starts, he's 3-0 and with the blah, blah, blah. So, again, that's kind of there as the guy's intro and then some other kind of trendy things that I can either use as as filler lines, little filler statistics on a foul ball or whatever, or um, as jumping off points to get my analyst involved. So I'll have some of that stuff in there. And then, you know, working in the National League East, I mean, there's no shortage of great pitchers, Scherzer and Strasburg and DeGrom and, and up and down the line. So there's some historical context, too. So. Uh, again, I, I'm able to embed links that I've found. Um, you know, Baseball Reference does a great job keeping uh, like their play index, so you can sort different things. So, you know, Max Scherzer, ten strikeout games. I, when he's got eight strikeouts in a game or nine strikeouts in a game, I don't have to go and search before. Okay, this is his. So, so I've saved the link and I have the link. So now, when he's got seven strikeouts or eight strikeouts, I click the link. I show it's his 73rd ten strikeout game. And it's there. So, uh, again, I think technology is, uh, is, is important uh, for me. Uh, it keeps things organized. Everything's up in the cloud, so hopefully I don't lose anything. You know, uh, As long as I don't forget my computer and my iPad, I, I should be good to go. But um, that's kind of the, the, the baseline for, for my prep and my organization. And then my, my actual scorecard, I'll, I'll do more of, the, more of the daily stuff on there um, with different statistics of you know this team's third in baseball and homers or you know the bullpen the last two weeks has done this that or whatever so um the the the, that's more the daily stuff that i have the daily organization but i will say i am probably the most boring broadcaster in baseball when it comes to off days on the road the amount of times that we've had an off day in a city and i've just spent eight hours on my computer trying to figure out how can I still make this better and tighter is, uh, it's embarrassing. It's sad really. But, um, <laughs> but it's, it's all an effort to save 20 minutes of not having to write down a number. So, and that kind of leads me into my next question. When you do 162 games and you don't get many off days and you're in the dog days of the summer and, um, and you have to work ahead, right? You have to look ahead to certain teams because once you get to a series, you can u- utilize information a whole weekend, but then you say, okay, well, now we have the Diamondbacks the next day, and I have to completely wipe the slate clean and start over my preparation. So how much are you working ahead to not burn yourself out and not say, okay, well, if the Dodgers series is over, now i got to start from scratch and get ready for the Diamondbacks the morning of game one. How, what's the schedule for you? Right. This is another thing that I got from uh, Chip. Actually, Chip Carey was, again, I, I tried and I, I would implore any broadcaster to always go in and talk to another mm-hmm. broadcaster, especially one who's older than you, who's been doing it uh, longer. And uh, if you're young, probably better than you two. Uh, and go in and, and just rack their brain for as much time as they'll give you. And I tried to do that. I still try to do that. But certainly my first year and that first time around um, and, and talking with different guys and the same things that you're asking me, hey, what's your setup on your desk in the middle of a game? That's what I would ask. And when I asked Chip that that same uh, thing, he was he was the one that said, I usually try to work like a series ahead. And I thought, well, there, that makes sense because, one, it saves you a little bit of time the morning of a new series. But also, as you know, just in case game three of your series against the Mets, when you get the Braves coming up, if game three is seven to one in the fourth inning, you might jump ahead in your conversation a little bit. And you want to have a, at least a little bit of an idea of, of who the hell's on the team tomorrow. Um, so, you know, you might be locked in a little bit to, to you know, Freddie Freeman or whatever. Um, so that's uh, that's another thing that I've done. Like, and again, from Chip, I always have, uh, whether it's a piece of paper or, of course, this year I started writing it on my iPad, too. But um, in, in the, the uh, GoodNotes app that I use to do my scorecard, I have another tab open that's just a piece of paper, basically digital paper, but piece of paper. And on that is where I have, I keep at least one note for every other game going on that day. Um, so at the top, I would, I would have all the games for uh, other National League East teams. And then underneath that, the order that I go is like, you know, whatever it is but then underneath that if it's a if we're playing a non nl east team that team would then go up there so if we're playing the dodgers it would go like nats mets braves phillies 
you know, Dodgers Cubs, and then I would circle the Dodgers, and I'd put a few extra notes for the Dodgers in there uh, to say, hey, you know, by the way, because we'd always promote the game tomorrow anyway, so that would be a, a, a natural way to get into it. But um, try to work a series ahead. Um, but then also, and this is another one of those areas where I kind of fine-tuned uh, this this uh, Google Sheets note that I had was on, on one half, like right underneath the player, uh, I have more of the short-term info for a player. So it's, you know, what's he been doing the last two weeks or, you know, he's coming up on 250 career home runs or whatever. And then on the right side is more the historical stuff. You know, where did he get drafted? When did he sign? Is he, you know, he's a six-time All-Star. It's, you know, he won a World Series in 2015, whatever it is. Um, you know, I'm first thing I think of is like Robinson Cano, who's made his own headlines this year, unfortunately. But like a guy like that is, you know, he's fourth on the hits list and fourth on the doubles list and third on it. So again, baseball reference is great. I have all of those things saved. So anytime he gets a double, I click on it. Well, he just passed so-and-so on the doubles list. And I don't necessarily need, while I have a great one, I don't necessarily always need the stats guy. I'm not at, at his disposal of when he gives me the stat. I have it. And again, just like writing for yourself being most natural, if I know where I want to go, I know how I want to get there, too. And I know that I might want to wait a second or I might want to get out in front of something and hope that it happens. Um, you know, or I what I might think is relevant at the time. And, and I think that that's, you know, you're kind of the captain of this whole thing when you're the play by play guy, whatever you want to talk about. Everybody talks about it. <laughs> um, so that's that's kind of it. So. Um, at this point, I don't even remember what your question was, but I hope I answered it in a in a in a roundabout way uh, in terms of uh, in terms of the daily prep. That's what it was, the daily prep. Yeah, and kind of along those lines as well. You mentioned being the play-by-play guy. You can kind of you're the captain. You get to take it in different directions, but you also on television, especially on radio, you can certainly go any direction you want. Don't have to worry about the pictures at all. But uh, what can you tell us about trying to tell stories on TV, making sure your analysts is clued into where you're going, producer, director all of those different things to make sure it's still a really, everyone's on the same page with all of that. Yeah, I think it, um, communication certainly is key. So if it's, uh, you know, if it's, if it's, if it's a small story, if it's this little background nugget on a guy, like you might be able to mix it in, uh, on a foul ball when, you know, you've got a little extra time. Um, if it's something that's a little bit more long winded that you don't necessarily want to get interrupted is probably not the right word but if right. you if it, it's just like i just just let me tell it i just let me tell it you can react how you want but i need to there's five bullets in this story and i need to get to all of them and then once i do that nice and crisply and cleanly take it wherever you want to go you'd communicate that say you know hey todd just give me like i think i did that one time for god i think it was something it was something like a full moon or something the moon landing or something where i <laughs> i knew that it was you know it was going to be a little bit cute but like i so it was going to be lighthearted, so it wasn't going to be super serious where everybody's uh, like a, a step behind in reaction to make sure you have the right tone. So I said, listen, I, I got to tell this moon landing thing, whatever it is. So just give me like three or four pitches and I'll, I'll get in, I'll get out. It'll be neat and clean. And, and that's that. So but again, I think that it's um, for yourself when you want to tell those stories, it, it, you need to uh, communicate that, hey, I need a little extra time or remind your producer, hey, can you show me the pitching coach or whatever. And then it's the same thing with the analyst. I mean, at the end of the day, the, you know, we drive the conversation. We talk about what we want to talk about, but you also really need to get your analyst involved. Right. So if you, uh, you know, you got to ask them just about every day, uh, you know, hey, what, what stands out? What do you want to talk about? Where do you want to go? Because if, if they're a good analyst, they've done their prep work and they've put in their own work and, you know, they're not necessarily wired like a like a play by play guy is They're, uh, And I say this lovingly, they're not always the, the, the best. And this is not the, the guy I work with. This is just an over overarching thing like they're they're not as TV savvy as our little clan. Right. So mm -hmm. they may not necessarily think of all the fundamentals on how to keep a story neat and clean or the fact that, hey, I've spent time to prep this and I may not use it. It's very likely I won't use it. Like they figure if I've done the homework, it's getting in there somehow. So you want to give them that respect too. Like, 
we know, like I said before, you might have 20 or 30% of the stuff, you, that's all you use, and the other 70 is garbage. Um, but for the analyst, you know, if they've prepped a couple of notes and a couple of stories and a couple of breakdowns or whatever, like give them the space to do that too. So, um, you know, you're, you're sharing the mic and, and whatnot. So you, you just, again, you just want to communicate um, of what resources you'll need in terms of shots or a graphic or, you know, that's time and space to tell the story or, or whatever. And then, of course, vice versa goes for, for the analyst, too, that they might need that same sort of time and space to, to do that or be set up the right way. And, you know, again, that, that's our job, too. You set them up right and they knock it down and everybody wins. Everybody looks good. Well, you've been the television voice of the Marlins after you had some experience on MLB Network, and especially like you mentioned, MLB Tonight. And uh, you, we've been talking all about the prep for like one night of a Marlins game. But what was the preparation like? How'd you get mentally ready to go for MLB Tonight, especially on some weeknights or weekends when everybody's playing? You know, you may have to have a note here too about almost everybody in baseball. It's such a unique show that kind of combines NFL Red Zone to Sports Center to you're laying out for live game coverage. Just how'd you you get organized right. for all of that uh the mlb network research team is phenomenal every single day during the season they send out a research packet which is it's got great stuff and it, and it hits a lot of different things it hits you know the the more basic stats and nuggets and it hits some news that uh, headlines and then it hits some of the advanced stuff so there's a lot of stuff on on the page um and they do it every day so each team each game has its own page so again because i have to tweak everything i wouldn't just print it out and bring it with me on set i would print it out let's say i'm doing the six o'clock show mm -hmm. six to nine was was typically a shift so you have you have like an hour uh six to seven was like an hour of like you said sports center where it's more scripted uh produced television hey second segment we're in studio 42 third segment we're here we're talking pitching blah blah, blah. whereas once you get into seven o'clock there's no rundown anymore. You're following games and who's got the bases loading and who's striking out the side. You're going all over the place. So if the show's at six, the meeting was typically at two. So um, I would go in at about one. I would tweak the, 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 the research packet to have a certain format that I like because I'm a weirdo uh, and certain pages and stuff like that. And then I would just go through each page and I would, you know, uh, I would highlight trendy stuff, uh, you know, it seems one, five of six or, you know, the, the, whatever, things like that. And then I would always highlight uh, a pitcher's last start. I don't know. It's just something that I did. So they would always mark down his last start with six and a third, four hits, blah, blah, blah. And because, again, those are the things I wanted to be able to find when the guy's up, you know, and on the mound or whatever. So uh, I would do that and I would mark down, you know, on the, in the in the in the margin uh, this was about uh, Scherzer. This was about Soto. This is about Bryce Harper. Whatever, and I would just and I would have that with me and the rundown for the show and my computer and that was it. Um, so that would take me about an hour or so to go through it, and then we'd go to the meeting. Um, we we'd kind of walk through what we were talking about or what we were keeping an eye on and uh, over the course of the show and. And then from there, you're just kind of talking to the analysts. And again, same sort of thing. Hey, what, what grabs your attention? What catches your eye here? Where do you want to go? What are you watching for tonight? Make sure that we, you know, when so-and-so is at the plate that we get to one of his at-bats because you want to do a breakdown of it. So, um, again, it, it was that kind of organization, that kind of communication. Um, and for me, like, you know, you mentioned before, like getting burnt out. Sure, you, you can. Um, but I, I, while I certainly uh, am no baseball player, I do have kind of a baseball mindset. So I'm, once I get going, I'm fine. Like I don't want to take days off. I just I get into a rhythm and I do the same thing at the same time every day, and I have the routine. And then it's just everything's on autopilot. So I don't want to shut it down for the All Star break or you know, take a series off or whatever. I don't, I don't like it because it throws me out of rhythm. Baseball's an everyday sport. So if I take a series off, um, I may not pick up on something that happened in the fifth inning that next week, and then this guy makes his next start. I just might not be watching it the exact same way. And then I, uh, nobody at home probably notices that, but I feel like I'm missing something. So I just like to get it, get going. 
uh, I would do them all in 165 days, maybe take a couple of days off, uh, just to tweak my notes, of course, and um, <laughs> and and then just just kind of put it in autopilot. So that that um, but routine to me is is really important. So I, I would always have some sort of routine, even go back to the MLP Network days. I always love asking these questions about guys who, who get these big jobs and, and the interview process and what's and what that is like and do you have to audition uh, you know is it done through you know that first connection is that done through an agent uh, what what is that process like uh, it can be a little bit of everything I am uh, certainly not a, a big enough star uh, to do any of these sort of make a phone call hey I want that job okay cool so you start Monday uh, that's not how that works um, for me. For other people, maybe it's different. But um, so for every uh, job that I've had, um, not getting into ESPN, there was like a sports test that we had to take. But again, I wasn't hired to be on camera, so it was a little bit different. But um, for MLB Network, uh, there was an audition process. At that time, I had an agent um, who certainly helped facilitate that sort of thing. But it was an audition, and they were looking to hire uh, another, I think at the time, another two. So it was, it, it ended up being me and, and someone else, uh, that got brought on. Um, but, uh, for the Marlins, I, I did not have an agent. I had parted ways with my agent over the course of, uh, of my time at ESPN or at uh, MLB network. So I was, uh, I was flying solo. Um, and the way that that worked out was, um, a lot of luck and a lot of, uh, knowing the right people. And again, I can't say this enough. It wasn't about knowing the right people to pick up the phone and say, hey, hire Paul. But what I what I hope that it was was enough people to pick up the phone and say, hey, when you see Paul's tape, just look at it and just make sure that it doesn't get lost in the shuffle. Because, um, again, these jobs, it's not like uh, they get three applicants and they pick from those three. It's like there's hundreds of people that want these gigs. So it would be very easy for me, who was a, you know, middle of the roster kind of guy at MLB Network uh, without an agent um, to just on name alone be at the top of someone's list. So I needed to figure out, um, you know, who do I know that could make a call and it and, and again, just make sure that I, I didn't get lost and for that particular job, I kind of knew every angle, someone in every single angle. I had known people that worked at Fox Sports Florida that could tell me who I needed to talk to first and email there. Um, first of all, the, the, the folks at MLB Network, I was in the middle of a contract and they allowed me to pursue it. So I, again, I can't thank them enough for allowing uh, me to kind of pursue it while I was still under contract. They could have easily said no, and they did not. So I appreciate that. But um, so the Fox Sports Florida people, I kind of knew. Um, working at MLB Network, I, I knew um, some people in the baseball world. Actually, the first guy that hired me, John Ens, who was like the number two at MLB Network at the time that I was looking at the Marlins job, was the number two with Big Fox. Um, so I reached out to him and said the same thing. Hey, I don't know if you're I'm sure you're not in, in charge of the hiring for Fox Sports Florida, but if you know somebody somewhere, um, can you just make sure that, you know, my tape gets looked at and, and doesn't get tossed to the side? Um, and he said, you know, absolutely. Let's see what I can do. Um, again, uh, Tony Petiti was the president of MLB Network, who at that time had left MLB Network to be part of the commissioner's office, but has always had, you know, tremendous ties in, in television and ran CBS Sports for the longest time and stuff like that. Um, so he knows TV. He knows, you know, what good TV people look like, I guess, um, and hired me nonetheless. Um, but uh, so he I, I he's also the type of guy where if you're going to ask a favor, you ask one favor. You don't ask every three years for something. You ask him once for something. Um, and I figured this is the once. And then um, and then someone pointed out to me that there were only about 50 people or so that went to Derek Jeter's wedding. And Harold Reynolds, who works at the MLB Network, a friend of mine, uh, was one of those 50 people. And they said to me, dude, if you don't ask Harold <laughs> to like help you out, um, you're an idiot. And I thought, all right, so it's like a Tuesday night and I'm at, on my couch at home with my wife and I, I send Harold a text and I say, hey, Harold, are you free for lunch one day this week? And he goes, 
I said, I just want to ask you a question and ask your advice, ask for a little bit of help for something. He goes, uh, yeah, why don't you meet me at Chili's on Route 3 at 10 o'clock? <laughs> so I was like, uh, I guess I'm going to Chili's tonight. So I went over to Chili's. We sit down, we talk. I tell him about you know the Marlins job, everything else. I said, listen, I, I wouldn't ask you if I didn't think I was ready. Uh, I, I, I hope that you could you know help me out in some way. And he goes, what do you want me to do, text Derek Jeter? And I said, why do you think we're at Chili's on a Tuesday, Harold? Like, <laughs> could you? think maybe possibly so he goes oh yeah he sends a text i've known paul for this long and you know if you see his tape man he's he's all right it's all that kind of stuff so um again i I don't think that any one person uh along those lines got me the job i don't think anybody picked up the phone and said paul's the guy don't hire you know don't even look at anybody else hire him tonight um but i just hope that whatever uh, important people say to other important people that uh, that they said the right things and 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 then you know after all of that it does become up to you too because I shouldn't mix uh, miss the point that I was then a finalist and had to go to Florida and audition so and that was really all I wanted I just wanted the opportunity uh, to to make it happen on my own so it was. Uh, not all at the same time, but it was me and I don't know how I've heard four. I've heard six. I've heard 10. I've heard, excuse me. I've heard a number of different people that, that went. Um, but I, I think I was the first one. So that was a nerve wracking three weeks of waiting. Cause I was the first one who set the tone, I guess, I hope, uh, for, for who they wanted to hire or whatever. But at the same time, um, I also had to wait the longest for them to make the decision too. So it was, uh, it was tough from, from that perspective. But, um, you know, I think that if you, if you carry yourself the right way and, and, and go about things the right way that, um, if you, if you need a favor from someone and again, not to get you a job, but just to say something nice so that someone else who doesn't know you from Adam, uh, says, all right, well, if, if Roger Hoover says this guy's a good guy, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll talk to him. Uh, Roger would never say that about me. I'm just using him as an example. But uh, not yet, you know, not yet. I've <laughs> Wait, got, hasn't uh, said it about me yet. So uh, don't hold your. Well, that's because you worked uh, for me. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you just you just hope that someone would uh, would vouch for you. Really, that's it. And um, and and I was fortunate that all the stars aligned for this particular one, and I I'm, I'm blessed. Final one for me, and obviously me being a Yankees fan, I got to ask about Cheater. Uh, does he talk to you about expectations for the broadcast? Does he pay attention to those types of things, or is he just very much locked in on the baseball side of it? Uh, anytime that I've talked to him uh, about it, and again, it's, it's at the end of the day, it's it's him, it's his pro- his product and his uh, his ownership group. It's their product and their team. So I, I've seen him by the cage, and you know I've said. Uh, you know, if there's anything that we can do better or different more on the broadcast, please let me know. Um, and he's uh, open to it. He's never said, hey, knock this off or, hey, do more of that. He, he kind of lets people do their their job. And again, he doesn't um, let me amend that, too. I mean, it's the, the team is his product, but the broadcast is not. The broadcast belongs to, to of course, Fox Sports Florida. So. Uh, or Bally Sports, or I guess whatever we are now. But um, there, there's, we are not hired by the team. We are hired by the by the uh, network. So you want to work together, of course. You want to pump up and sell the the product. But he, he, I don't think he would ever say. And he certainly hasn't said it to me. Of hey, you guys can't run that graphic anymore. That graphic looks stupid. Or why are you wearing that green tie? It looks like you look like an idiot. He's never said anything like that. I think that. Um, if there were an issue, if we said something that we shouldn't have or uh, said it in a way that we shouldn't have or uh, spoke out of turn in any sort of way, I'm, I'm sure that, that that would be addressed. But, um, you know, fortunately, that, that hasn't been the case. I think that he, um, again, he's worried about how the team plays and, and how they do in the community and, and how the you know farm system is built up. And um, and if if we look somewhat pretty on TV, then I guess that's just a plus. But, um, you know, just just make sure that, that we're selling the team. I mean, at the end of the day, you're, you're a mouthpiece for the organization. And, um, you know, one of the ways to, to advertise and get people in the seats and, and make sure that they buy jerseys and, you know, all, all kinds of stuff like that. So 
um, it, it all it all works together. It all works together. But you know, he's been um, he's been great. He comes on the air. He, he's he's the same guy. I mean, you got to ask him a good question. If you ask him a dumb question, or if you just say talk about this, or you know, if you ask him a close-ended question, you're going to get a yes or no. And I've gotten a yes or no from him before, and I've learned my lesson. Uh, so you you've got to have uh, you've got to have thoughtful questions when when you have him up in the booth. Um, uh, thoughtful questions when you talk to him around the cage. I mean, he's he he is who he is. He's a tremendous leader, and um, I think that uh, you know one of the reasons why I think that this Marlins thing is 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 turning around and will continue to turn upwards is because of his leadership uh, and where he's been. And you know, I've said it a thousand times. He didn't, you know, he he did okay in his career money wise. Like he didn't need to do this. Um, you know, I think his golf game's probably improving. He can be playing a lot of golf. Uh, he was on the Gulf Coast of Florida for a little while. There's there's golf courses or two there. Like he could have been doing that, but he wanted to com- continue competing. Um, and he didn't do this to lose. He didn't do this to uh, to get involved in this to to be told that he's doing a lousy job, that he's you know tanking a season, that he's breaking up a, a franchise, that he's doing all this kind of stuff. Wants the dude wants to win, man. I mean, he wants to win, and he's he's always wanted to win, and he's always uh, he's always wanted to compete, and he's doing it just in a different chapter of his baseball life now. He's not. I can report with full honesty, he's not taking ground balls at shortstop anymore. <laughs> but he's watching the guys that are. He's incredibly invested in what's going on, and um, and he's a proud guy too, you know. And I think that uh, that that all of that tied together makes it for uh, uh, again one of the one of the good jobs in baseball for me i mean to to be able to watch a group grow the way that they are growing and will continue to grow and you know last year was fun because they shocked everybody hopefully they do more of that in 2021 certainly would love to see that well paul we uh, know we've kept you over an hour so i'll let you go on this one now you guys Last asked one. me four questions and i just <laughs> rambled on and you're gonna you're gonna try to say that ah you kept me come nah. on I mean, you're still not the record holder. Let's just put it that way. We won't go really? into all of that. We've, we've had some records. We've, <laughs> we've had, had some, some records set on this program. Uh, I do want to get you out the door, though, on a, kind of a practical question. You talk about the grind of a baseball season, how you love the grind, and maybe it's on my mind because I'm a newlywed, but just how do you try to balance that kind of career grind with having a family life, with having a wife, kids, and uh, making sure you're giving them the time you need when you are at home? Right. Uh, well, congratulations. And um, and two, I think, well, part of it, like some guys, I, I don't know the exact number, but for some guys, they'll work in the off season and they'll do college hoops, college football, whatever they do in the off season. I don't. I've got uh, I've got a, a 10 year old boy uh, and my wife and they they grind, man, in the off in the uh, in the regular season, they grind because you know, dad's out the door at, at two in the afternoon. And I, you know, if, if school's going on, I'll see my son in the morning for 15 minutes when I drop him off. And then I don't see him again until the next morning. Um, so it, it is tough. And then of course the road trips too. It's so it's tough. And there's a lot of sacrifices that, uh, that are involved, uh, on all ends really for everybody in the family. But for me, um, that's why I cherish the six months off, uh, cause I can be home constantly and, you know, as uh, another friend of the program, Glenn Geffner, uh, told me early, once the season ends, he gets to go back to his, his winter internship as a dad and husband. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's the same sort of thing. Uh, you know, I've tried to take up cooking and, uh, you know, take that off my wife's uh, plate, no pun intended, uh, a little bit more this off season. So, um, yeah, just, you, you try to be home. You try to be present because you know that in order to um, do your job well. And again, there's only 30 of these and I, I try not to take anything for granted. You could lose it tomorrow if you, if you, if you do take it for granted. So, um, got to make sure that once that season's going, that, that you're grinding and, uh, and everybody's bought in in the Severino household. So I'm thankful for that. Well, that's certainly good to hear. Well, we've really enjoyed this time with you, Paul. Uh, you do a great job for Marlins television. We're looking forward to your broadcast coming up next year already, but just thank you for all the time you've given us here today. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks, Paul. All right. Our thanks to Paul Severino of the Miami Marlins and Fox Sports Florida. And thank you for watching this edition of Broadcaster Hour.